welcome to the Come Follow Me Weekly Wisdom Podcast. My goal is to deepen your faith in and love for Jesus Christ and his gospel. You can best support these podcasts by purchasing one of my books, The Divine Nature and His Voice, The Teachings of the Old and New Testament. These books can be purchased on Amazon or by visiting my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. Thank you. Well, we're here. We've finally made it. We are in the Book of Mormon. So we'll be looking at some verses in 1 Nephi chapter 1 through 7. Of course, the most read verse in all of the Book of Mormon is 1 Nephi chapter 1. So I think I'll start there. There is a a phrase and a concept that is found in 1 Nephi chapter 1 that particularly stood out to me concerning the goodness of God. It brings to us the questions of, one, what is the goodness of God? Do we have a standing definition of what the goodness of God is, what it represents and means? Why is having a knowledge of the goodness of God important and included with its importance, its relevance? We can ask the question, how does a knowledge of God's goodness change us? Deeper questions would be, Questions such as, is God good? Is God truly good? The latter two questions are questions that I encounter on a daily basis in the realm of psychological and psychiatric health. They're questions that get surfaced in times of trauma, in times of tragedy and difficulty, in times of war. It's normal to have these questions, is God good? amidst the horrors and the trauma and the problems and pain that come with existence. Those are very deep questions. Um, So deep, they deserve their own podcast, their own episode. So I'll touch on them, but those won't be the emphasis for today. So we begin in 1 Nephi chapter 1. It probably needs um, no introduction. It doesn't need me to read it because it's been read so often by most people. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in the learning of my father, and having seen many afflictions in the course of my day, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. The first verse is, I've seen people break it apart, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, there's often a pause on the concept of goodly parents. You can look at the term goodly in the Bible. I believe there is one term where, or one usage in the Bible of the word goodly, and it is more of a reference to affluence and wealth. Uh, so some people will read 1 Nephi 1 and interpret goodly as a statement of the fact that his parents were wealthy. Uh, another way of interpreting it is Nephi gives the definition of goodly in his in his statement, saying, goodly parents, therefore, I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father. So he could be defining that term goodly parents. So obviously, the, the more significant issue at the heart of it is what makes a good parent. It's obviously not wealth. That's not the precondition to having a good parent. And good would be different from goodly, and this may not be the verse that you really want to emphasize what it means to be a good parent, because I don't think that's the ultimate intention. 
Nephi gives this very brief description, and, and within this description, the things that I believe that are significant is he states that he had been taught in all the learning of his father. I don't know if that's a statement of being taught in an educational and academic or some sort of occupational way, or if it was specific to the, I was taught the ways of God by my father. The assumption that I am making is that Lehi and Nephi and this family, they had the gospel with them. They had an understanding of God and the Lord. And so the learning that he was taught of his father was related to God and the gospel. That his acknowledgement of the blessings of the Lord is not just something that happened in retrospect, but was a description of his relationship in his upbringing, as well as his identification of the knowledge and goodness of mysteries of God are things that he had at a very young age that are included in his um, upbringing in the teachings that he received. The learning of his father includes these teachings and this education about God in a spiritual sense. But I wanted to zoom past that because I like the statement better. Having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and mysteries of God. So I just, I, I point out this idea of the goodness of God. What is the goodness of God? And how can you truly state that God is good in contrast to the former statement? Nephi here is expressing that he had seen many afflictions and yet, despite the fact that he has seen many afflictions, he's still able to recognize God's goodness. This as a concept and a principle is extremely significant, and I believe it's something that, in large, our society is struggling with tremendously today. They see the afflictions, they see the problems, they see all of these concerns, whether they be illness, whether they be tragedy, and as a result of that, they're unable to confess and come to realization that God is good, which goes to that deeper question, is God good, considering all of the afflictions? And there's a, there's a bit of a discussion of what that means. You know, Nephi specifically, and if this statement here has any reference to what type of experiences he's going to have within this first book of Nephi, I mean, Nephi, he has it pretty rough. He leaves every possession that he has. He leaves his home. He's leaving a tremendous amount of wealth and going clear out into the unknown. Doesn't know if he's going to survive. And they have many experiences while they're out in the wilderness where they're actually wondering, are we going to survive? They have near-death experiences. They've left everything. They experience hunger, a lot of deprivation. They experience attempt of murder. And not only did they have to leave their possessions, they also have the experience of having them stolen from them. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of deprivation and affliction that Nephi truly does experience, not to mention the physical abuse that he experienced from his brethren, you know, physical abuse that probably could have almost, I mean, again, the attempted murder was referenced to Laban, but it also is referenced to technically his brothers, Laban and Lemuel, this attempt of murder. So I and and so the statement of Nephi seeing many afflictions includes some pretty hard stuff. And yet Nephi is able to still acknowledge the goodness of God. Can you do likewise? Considering all of the grievances that you could compile and muster, 
are you capable of still confessing that God is good despite losing everything, despite the sacrifices that are required of you, despite the tragedy, uh, the tragedy of your life and the tragedies in your life, physical abuse, violence, attempt of murder, lo almost losing your life, extreme deprivation, all of those things, can you still confess that God is good? And, and perhaps even the better question is, is how in the world can you still confess that God is good? Because that's the, to me, it's self-evident why one would not confess that God is good in those situations. The murmuring that you, ex you hear from Laman and Lemuel is so natural. It doesn't need an explanation. I'm starving. I've given up everything. In fact, all of these things have come because we've decided to follow God and his commandments. And ever since we got along on this trip that's been led by God, this journey to the promised land, it's been nothing but problem after problem after problem after problem. And so, my goodness, following God's plan has not been easy. It's very easy to get cynical, very easy to dispense the whole concept of God's goodness at any point in this way. So it's the, 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 the question that you truly should entertain if you had Nephi in front of you is, how in the world do you maintain this belief in God's goodness? And not even just like this, this you know, errant thought that you have that God is still good. It's a, it's a true belief that he feels down to his core because multiple times these Nephi and their family are offering sacrifices along the way. There is a true intent that God is good despite the afflictions. So how does that happen? That is the great mystery. You know, it's funny, the, the mysteries of God, that's what I would label a mystery of God. Whenever I look at the mysteries of God, I'm not so, um, I'm not so obsessed with the ideas of deep doctrine. I don't care where, I don't care about the metaphysical stuff. I care about real life. I care about figuring out problems that are more real. And this is a legitimate problem. How can one truly maintain an idea of God's goodness despite all the tragedies that, ex that humanity has experienced? I did want to provide an alternative reading to 1 Nephi chapter 1 that comes from looking at our culture of why 1 Nephi is quite relevant. I myself am of the millennial generation, and I've, I've already ragged a little bit on some of the millennial mindset. I don't have any problem with millennials. I have problems with ideas and it's the world of ideas where we war constantly and there's a lot of millennial ideas a zeke geese a spirit of the times that we're confronting that is quite problematic so this is the alternative reading to first nephi one in contrast i am millennial having been born into an evil tyrannical patriarchy that tried to pass on its broken, oppressive teachings in the course of my days. I acknowledge my white privilege, but curse the Lord for giving me the lesser portion of heavenly blessings and gifts. Yea, I no longer believe in the goodness of God. Therefore, I will loudly proclaim my protests in mob-like fashion. So I know that's a little bit overdramatic, but there, there really is a spirit of the times that is extraordinarily ungrateful that there is a complete denial of the goodness of God. And the reason why is because there's so much focus on all the negative things in the world that the afflictions of our days have completely overwhelmed our view and have basically eclipsed 
the goodness of God to the point where they don't see the blessings of God. And something that you even do in the psychological realm, there's a tremendous amount of power in just sheer gratitude and being able to identify the good in the world that can completely transform your perspective. But there's so much resentment in today's world, so much resentment aimed at the institution, aimed at patriarchy, against parents, against institutions, against any type of structure. And they, they focus on all of the, the bad things, all of their failures, all of their weaknesses. And there's, there's no honest evaluation of the good things that come through our structure. You know, we have, we live in a, I live in America and America has a tremendous amount of incredible blessings. And I believe that things that have, things that have occurred in America have been completely miraculous and people take them for granted. They don't see the goodness of God behind the many sacrifices and the institutions that have come through America. They focus on all the negative and the bad things. And imagine doing that to an individual, the, the same attitude if you carried that towards an institution or a structure, if you held that same standard towards a human being. I mean, it would be a, a violent type of a mindset towards human beings for all the faults that they have. I usually flip things um on their head because the expectation is that people should just be good and everyone should have all these good things happening to them. Whereas for me, the expectation is everything should be bad, that we should have nothing but just endless affliction and deprivation. And anytime you're not experiencing a, a moment, literally a moment, a second of just sheer depression, depravity, horror, you should be absolutely grateful. You flip it on its head. Whereas if you have this perspective of entitlement, then you're like imagining the world that everything should be going good. And every time something isn't going good, then you curse God for making this little bump in the road. Whereas if you flip that, then as I said, you, you assume everything should be going wrong. And anytime something doesn't go wrong, then you would be extremely grateful. I have two sayings kind of along this matter. I believe that the most humble individual on the planet, the most humble individual on the planet should be the honest scientist. If, if you truly met a scientist who was honest, absolutely, completely honest, they should be the most humble person on the planet because what science does is it awakens you to an understanding of how little you know, how, how just how big the universe is, how wide our gaps of knowledge are, and how completely foolish and limited and lacking we are as a scientific community. The one that's more relevant is the most grateful individual should be a pessimist. And that seems a little bit odd, but truly the honest pessimist. An honest pessimist should be the most grateful individual on the planet. And so it's, it, this is how you flip this. A, an honest pessimist is able to catch the goodness of God. Because when you wake up and your alarm went off, because in a pessimistic world, the alarm wouldn't go off. You would have burnt your toast. Your car would have broken down or run out of gas. You would have been 20 minutes late to work. You probably would have got fired from your job. Or, and why would you have got fired? It would have been, you would have been fired because of some evil conspiracy, some grand injustice because of nepotism, your boss is firing you to hire his imbecilic cousin, 
and you are thrown into the dirt and now you can't pay your rent. You're going to get kicked out of your house and disowned by your family because of the shame and depravity of losing your job. And, and by the time you even get home, even though you're going to be losing it because you can't afford it anymore, you're going to be living on the streets because somebody broke into your house and stole your bed and you're going to be sleeping on a hard floor and you can't even fall asleep because you now have insomnia of, because of all of the, the terrible afflictions. And the fact that that did not happen to you today and any day that that does not happen, you wake up and you say, my alarm did go off. What a miracle. The lights turned on. For some reason, electricity still is flowing and the world hasn't ended. My car still functions, even though I don't know how it functions. I did not burn my toast. And I had a meal. I had food. I did not get robbed today. And I was able to main my, maintain my job. Oh my goodness, I am surrounded by incredible miracles. God truly is good. And I know that there's a sense of comedy in that, but I mean, I'm, I truly believe that that is a healthy perspective to have in the world because there's, there's so much going on behind, behind the, the scene. There's so much going on below the surface that is absolutely miraculous. I believe it's miraculous every single day that I have a job. I am extremely grateful the fact that I am able to still have a job, I still have a family, I have my daily food, I live in a wonderful country that allows me to have freedom of religion. These things are just immeasurable blessings and they're things that cause me to cry out in absolute gratitude to God on a daily basis. And it's genuine and it's not scripted. It's not a vain repetition because each day I'm able to see those things by awakening my honest pessimist. So that's something that can be helpful, I think, a little bit as you try to review your own day. And as I said, even from a therapeutic perspective, you get someone, a patient who is extraordinarily depressed and a common intervention is to start a little bit of a gratitude journal. And a lot of the times when people start a gratitude journal, the, the most common mistake that they'll run into is they keep things very vague. But if you live in a world that's more specific, you know, I'm grateful that I had food. Well, don't write food, write what specific food. I'm grateful that this vague occurrence happened. Again, live in the world of specifics and that allows your gratitude, I think, to have a little bit more power and doesn't feel like it's a vain repetition when you're actually giving specific people, a very specific situation, and specific materials included in your gratitude and actually taking the time to reflect on that. And not just in an, a homework, busy work type of way, but looking at those things, reflecting on it, and allowing yourself just to experience gratitude. There was a wonderful Elder Uchtdorf talk in general conference about gratitude, and he, I believe, used the terminology something along the lines of we always feel like we are grateful for this, grateful for this, instead of just feeling grateful. And a lot of times once you get your list of the things that you're grateful for, I would just encourage you to take a moment just to feel gratitude. And a lot of the times in your prayers, you don't even need to go through the list. I think sometimes you're going through the list to engender the feelings of gratitude. And then sometimes it's okay just to stop and pause and feel the gratitude. And I would say that's better advice for individual prayer. You don't need so much of the histrionics and all of your public prayers and things like that. But, you know, the primary place of prayer, as it states in Matthew chapter 5, is in your closet. So when you're having those personal communications with God, 
allowing yourself to feel things. Something that I believe in prayer is you shouldn't let your your words move faster than your feelings. It's uh, the, one of the best ways to actually improve the quality of your prayer is to experience the feeling that you're you're having through the prayer, whether that's a feeling of guilt that's trying to get you to repent, to allow that to go through the full experience of that, sadness as you're petitioning the Lord, gratitude, praise, or joy, whatever it may be, to sometimes slow things down, not feel like you have to move as fast with just filling in the blanks with your words, but actually experiencing the 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 situation and the 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 process of prayer. I know those aren't the best terms for that. I guess ultimately what you're trying to get at is experiencing what prayer is enacting, and prayer is you kneeling before God and and having a, a some sort of a a dialogue or a communication in that type of a setting and a posture. So ways that you can teach this concept in a class is you can simply just ask, what are you grateful for? Or you can use the phrase that's found in 1 Nephi chapter 1 and ask, how have you seen the goodness of God in your life? In what specific ways have you as an individual experienced God's goodness? Or what are some of the most meaningful experiences you have had as you have encountered God's goodness? And we'll, we'll turn later into Lehi's expression because this term, the goodness of God, does appear multiple times in the Book of Mormon. And in 1 Nephi chapter 1, it's something that Lehi reflects on and gives his interpretation of that. But as we're looking at the whole concept of the goodness of God and the ideas of gratitude, here are a few verses worth cross-referencing. And you have to step outside of the the first Nephi 1 through 7 material in order to really hammer in the concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again but everything good is in Corinthians I'm just telling you these books are absolutely incredible 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 has this verse that says what hast thou that thou didst not receive and why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it there, there really is, if you were to go through the, the two-year-old Socratic analysis of your life and keep asking why, 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 why are you so good at running? Well, because I work hard. Why are you able to work so hard? I don't know. It's just how I am. Perhaps you just received something innate within your character. The more that you start to ask yourself why, you're going to hit these bumps in the roads where you're unable to explain why. And we find that so much of our own lives is a mystery and behind a lot of those mysteries is where you're going to actually identify God. Um, perhaps I have just been tremendously blessed or to use Nephi's term, I've been highly favored of the Lord. I've been highly blessed of God in that I do have a, a high, I have a good work ethic. I have received tremendous opportunities. I've received a, a great endowment of physical capabilities that some people don't have. I've received an incredible blessing of good health that's allowed me to pursue this and this thing and the next thing. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? If you truly do take the time to think about it, you'll realize how much you truly have received and how incredibly blessed that you have been and how God has given you things and blessed you in ways that are very subtle and foundational in terms of your character, your development, your opportunities. 
And being able to identify those things truly opens you to the world of the goodness of God. Another type of, of, of getting at this perspective comes from Mosiah chapter 2. We'll probably refocus on this concept when we get there. But in Mosiah chapter 2, you have the teachings of King Benjamin, which when you get there and you have the opportunity to read those again, King Benjamin is the premier example of humility. The way that he lays out his ideology and his belief system in, in, verse, in chapters 2 through 4 in particular you're, I mean, King Benjamin is the best example of humility. There are some extremely subtle phrases that he uses and some not so subtle that really give you this mindset of a man who has truly mastered humility. One of the most well-known phrases is the term, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend on the same God? It's a beautiful question. Are we not all beggars? In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, it begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In the third Nephi account of the Sermon on the Mount, it begins by laying forth the principles of faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then it jumps into the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. But the, the initiating one is this idea of being poor in spirit. The term poor in the Greek is a term, I believe it's tochos, and it's reference to basically a beggar. Uh, mendicant is one of the words I remember reading in the dictionary definition of beggar or, or of poor. Basically, it's the image of a hobo. The, the term tochos, it had this idea of kind of bending or to crouch. So it had the image of a, of a beggarly man who's kind of hunched over and asking for something. So you have this image of a truly a beggar is what it means to be poor. And so blessed are the beggars in spirit. Blessed are those who are begging God, who are poor, who are homeless, who are mendicant, who are hobos sitting there on the side of the street with a sign to God saying, I need these blessings. And that's a blessed state. Blessed are the bakers in spirit. And, and King Benjamin gets that. And that's one of these core ideas to opening you up to gratitude. Because when you're a baker, you're so much more receptive to actually receiving blessings. You get that principle in 1 Corinthians of what have you that you have not received. It opens you to the wisdom found in Proverbs 28 that states, I believe, the full soul loatheth an honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. When you have truly made that switch, that rotation, that understanding that you are a beggar, that you depend on God, another phrase it uses in Mosiah chapter 4 verse 5, you've been awakened to your, a sense of your own nothingness. This is what fosters and engenders a tremendous amount of gratitude to God because the contrast to that is a phrase, I believe somewhere you can find it in the Old Testament, is this idea that says, my strength and my own arm hath gotten me this wealth. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts and their foolish heart was darkened, 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's your honest scientist. The honest scientist is the person that would truly proclaim how foolish they are because there's so much that we still don't know. But most uh, people, I'd say most people I've encountered in that field, they profess their wisdom, they deny the assumptions that they're making, and and truly make it sound as if they know a lot more than they actually do, and, and omit all of the tremendous amount of gaps and assumptions that still remain. I've always had a great deal of respect for those athletes that you see, whether it's on a football or basketball or track, that when they finish their line and they're always asked, like, how do you feel about winning? And they always just initially just jump right into this. I am so grateful for God. I'm grateful for God for blessing me. He's, he's the reason I'm here today. I, I truly do love that. Whether, I don't know, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't just sit there and question people's sincerity. I'm just extremely grateful and impressed with their quickness to utter the name of God and to give that praise and gratitude to God. I love seeing that in athletes and wish that I could resemble that. It's something that I admire tremendously and wish that our society and people in general would be able to do because in what the, the reason they're able to do that is they understand the blessings that they have in that moment, but they also understand how much their blessings lie on this entire foundation. They understand a principle taught in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, stating that it says, Rooted and built up in Christ, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. They understand the roots of their whole accomplishments. They've understood the foundation that they stand on and being able to acknowledge the foundation that they stand on, they're quick to praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it states that in everything we are enriched in God, and that's something that I'm particularly fond of when we're looking at this from a therapeutic perspective of trying to identify gratitude because of the harshness in life that continues to escalate and escalate resentment. And where is that resentment channeled towards? Whether you believed in God or not, it's basically resentment towards God. And you'll identify this a lot in a depressed mindset. Not all depression, obviously. I'm not going to... I'm not going to reduce all of depression to, to to not being grateful. That would be an errant idea. But there there is, oftentimes, I've noticed this focus on the pain and the suffering in life and what that does is it creates more resentment towards life and people will people won't say that they're resentful towards god but there's a resentment that's aimed towards what the world the universe towards life i'm angry at the, the world the universe and life because of this event this event this event and ultimately what's the the the, the sentiment that's surrounding that whole idea. I mean, whether you say you're angry in the universe or the world, you can imagine someone shaking their fist at the skies, and ultimately it's a resentment towards God. There, There's a hyper-focus that you'll see sometimes on just the negative things in the world, and what that does is it creates a, a broader and thicker barrier from actually identifying the goodness. And, and it's not a denial of the, the problems and the suffering, but in as much as that is what captivates your focus, it starts to draw you in and taint all of your experience and, and makes that resentful experience grow and grow and grow. And generally the emotion surrounding that as you have resentment towards 
the whole game of life that you're playing is it creates a very negative emotion that's going to be quite persistent. And so finding a way to escape that is to say, well, that that is part of life, but it's not the whole of life. There's more in life. What else is found in life as beyond the suffering? Can we find things to be grateful for? And in this recognition that everything that you are enriched in God helps you do that. That to me is one of the mindful exercises. There is a, a therapeutic practice called mindfulness and it, the center of mindfulness is to be aware, aware of the moment. But generally, uh, when you're looking at it from the Buddhist concept of mindfulness, there's a tremendous amount of gratitude in being mindful. Each breath, just focusing in on breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth, that there is an inherent gratitude that comes from each breath, each step. And as you're just mindful of these very simple processes and your ability to perform them, that it actually helps engender gratitude. And as you're trying to be mindful, what you're trying to do is expand this notion of gratitude to look at a mountain and just be mindful of its majesty. And, and as you're doing that, just the feeling of gratitude, it, it's unbridled at that point, whether you can verbalize it or articulate it, it's no longer relevant. You're feeling that at an emotional level, just looking at the good, looking at a beautiful mountain, looking at a beautiful sunset and being aware of those things that can be tremendously therapeutic as it starts to steal away that resentment towards God and slant you more towards the goodness of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, we have another one of my favorite verses um, as it pertains to gratitude. It reads, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Everything about who you are, your entire being, is given to you by the grace of God. That's part of that entire foundation. Everything that you are, everything that you have, has been given to you by God. And remembering that, realizing that, and remembering it over and over and over again in, in cyclical fashion will be protective for you. Because inasmuch as you can retain a remembrance of the goodness of God, that will foster greater feelings towards life. It's a gratitude of the goodness that you find in life because it works both directions. For the religious person, you'd say, I need to come to a realization of God's goodness. For someone who didn't have that background with God specifically, or that structure you'd find in religion, they would say, I'm trying to find good in the world. And just as I said, when people act out their resentment towards the world and the injustice of the universe, that that is synonymous with their interaction and relationship with God. It works the other direction, that when people are engendering feelings of goodness and gratitude towards God, you're simultaneously doing that with your relationship with the world. The semantics basically the same and identical. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in everything. It's a great challenge. It's the beginning of 1 Nephi, and it's actually the end of Nephi as well. Some of Nephi's very last words you'll read in 2 Nephi chapter 33, verse 14. It reads, And you that will not partake of the goodness of God, and respect the words of the Jews, and also my words, and the words which shall proceed forth out of the mouth of the Lamb of God, behold, I bid you an everlasting farewell, for these words shall condemn you at the last day. 
That's a harsh reprimand against the ungrateful. I believe there's another verse in Doctrine and Covenants 59, somewhere in that area, where it talks about, um, it's, I think it says something along the lines of, these two things I, the Lord, do hate. And one, he says, those who will not keep the commandments, which is kind of cheating because there's like a ton of commandments. So that's not just two things that the Lord hates when you say those that don't keep the commandments, but I won't be criticizing that. It's, I don't want to be one criticizing the scriptures, you know. And the other verse, it says that those who are ungrateful, the cause of resentment and the cause of being ungrateful, I, I won't, there, there's probably many causes, especially to resentment in particular, as one encounters injustice. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of injustice, and the natural man and the natural response is worth evaluating because any human being, because of who you are and how we're composed, when you encounter a situation that is unfair and unjust, you're going to feel that feeling of resentment. And I've often wondered, how do you ever turn that in another direction? I once had the opportunity to do a lot of interviews for college students, and we had a question that we asked each college student. So within a, about a three-hour period, I think I asked 50 kids the same question, and it was, have you ever had a period of time where where you were treated unfairly and how did you react and respond in that situation? And the, the interesting thing was in the short period of time, the general narrative that continued to occur was they would say that in that moment, I truly was angry and part of me just totally wanted to act out. I wanted to strangle that person. I wanted to beat him over the head. I wanted to get out of that situation. I wanted to quit my job. And when you ask, well, why didn't you? And how were you able to find an alternative path? One of the most common responses they gave was, well, I took a step back and I was able to look at things from a broader perspective. And that broader perspective is usually one of the main things that's able to subdue the feelings of resentment and actually help give you some sense of gratitude, especially when you're encountering the suffering of the world. You need to escape that very constricted and narrow perspective in your in life and be able to broaden it. And as you broaden things, you're able to foster, as I said, more feelings of gratitude and get rid of and, dis, and dis, diffuse some of the feelings of resentment. In First Nephi chapter 2, verse 12, you see this same principle taking place. And thus Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur against their father, and they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. You'll find that most human grievances are a result of just that, of people not knowing the dealings of God. And you can approach that in a very critical way or a very compassionate way, because a lot of the times as people are suffering and complaining and murmuring, it's true they may have a very narrowed perspective, and, and that's the perspective of the natural man. I don't always expect something else to show up. In fact, I think that is the first response. And it's important to go through the entire process. This person slapped me in the face and I felt totally resentful and I just wanted to jump at, back at them in anger. And, and to have that initial part of the story is significant. You don't want to skip steps in the story but I was able to overcome that resentment as I took a step back, as I listened and I, as I looked at the entire situation. I found that he didn't just punch me in the face. He tripped over a dog and his hand fell out and he whacked me in the face and it was a complete accident. 
when you get the entire picture and you get the entire story, it starts to tweak your own narrow vision of justice and it starts to let the resentment leave. And as that resentment leaves, you're going to find greater gratitude for the entire story of life, which story does include the afflictions as Nephi acknowledges. And those afflictions are deep. When I read that verse in 1 Corinthians 15.10, this is something that is really, really significant as well, because a lot of people actually struggle to make that statement that I am what I am by the grace of God. That a lot of people, they, in a similar way, when you're looking at the concept of God's goodness, and you can say that that's reflective of your relationship with the world, you know, what kind of relationship do you have with all of existence? Is existence good or is it bad? And in as much as it is bad, you're going to have a very soured, negative emotion that's going to haunt you persistently. And you can say that of the world, which generally has this image of life itself. But life itself plays out on the exterior stage, but also on the interior stage. And on the interior stage, that's a relationship that you have with yourself. And so the goodness of God is also reflective in your own identity and individuality. Are you good? Well, of course, you can look at all of the things that you've done wrong in life, all the things that you regret, all of the guilt and all of the shame, and that's going to sour your whole relationship with yourself. And I see that on a daily basis. I think at some degree, everybody's experienced that. It's very hard to develop that feeling of self-compassion towards yourself. And there may be a temptation to curse God for all of your weaknesses, for the thorn in your flesh, for the limited capacities that you have in mortality. But God, who sent his son Jesus Christ, was able to look past those limitations, to look past the humanity, to look past your sin and identify the goodness that is in you. So just as we are to proclaim the goodness of God, there is this working in the other direction that God proclaims the goodness of man. And that was expressed in the atonement of Jesus Christ. We give our gratitude because of God's goodness. And the, the grand expression of God's goodness is that he looked at the individual. He looked at you. And by the grace of God, you are what you are. That God has made you and declared you to be good. Just like in that Genesis story, he created the, he called the lights and said that the light was good. He goes through and creates the world. I'm obviously botching the whole creation story. I need to go through the order of events there. But each time he creates something, he said that this was good. God has looked at you as an individual and has declared you to be good. That this is, this is what the atonement was about. It was about moving past the, the sin and the, the frailty and all of your limitations as a human being and being able to identify the good that is in you. And there's a tremendous amount of power as you identify that within yourself. Christ was willing to descend below all things to get to the point where he was able to say that you, despite all of that, have all of these good traits. And you'll find, again, from a therapeutic perspective, that as you take time to identify good things in you, what that is a reflection as you identify all of these good things. It's one of the roots of, of positive psychology, which I'm not like, that's not like my anchor in all of the therapeutic, but it has its place. And what the place that I think it has is here as it focuses on gratitude, because if you can identify the good in yourself, it is the same thing as finding good in the world. We often create this barrier between the world and ourself. And most of the time it's, 
it's kind of a insignificant barrier. It's the same thing. Identifying good in the world helps you find good in yourself and identifying good in yourself will help you find good in the world as well. So as you take time to find good and reflect on the good that you have done within a day can help again engender feelings of gratitude to God and to make that type of an exclamation that by the grace of God I am what I am and to have that tremendous power of gratitude start to change your perspective of life start to push away feelings of resentment that will compound negative emotion and depressed feelings and start to shift your whole world into a place that has more positive emotion that's filled with joy and gratitude because you'll find that gratitude and joy have a very direct relationship or interconnected you'll see this in first nephi chapter one in verse eight it says that there were numberless concourses of angels in the attitude of singing and praising their god in verse 15 after this manage after this manner of language after this manner was the language of my father and the praising of his god for his soul did rejoice and his whole heart was feel, filled praising and rejoicing they usually accompany one another if you're unable to identify goodness and if you're not doing that then you're you're not you're creating this huge impediment to actually experiencing joy in life so that's why this verse in First Nephi is so significant. And it's, again, very culturally relevant because there's a tremendous amount of ungrateful feeling towards everything in the world. There's a tremendous amount of ungrateful feeling towards the structures in this world, towards individuals, towards society and culture. And I think a tremendous amount of that is completely unwarranted that people know not the dealings of God that had created them. I and mean, that's a direction you could steer an entire lesson is to say, in what ways have you experienced that or have witnessed that maybe in yourself or in others? Perhaps it'd be better to make this a more self-introspective thing as opposed to pointing the finger at others. But you can say, here was an experience where I murmured and I had resentment and I was angry and frustrated and I just didn't understand. I was ignorant. And as I come, as I came to understand how God works with us, which the, the, and how does God work with us? That would be a good question to try and explore. What are God's dealings with us? Well, the general essence of the gospel is fall and redemption. We experience the fall, and then there's pain and suffering and resentment and anger and sorrow. And without understanding the redemption that follows that, and the necessity of the fall to precede the redemption, you know, without understanding that very simple frame that it's very easy to know not the dealings of God and then to murmur. So the, the curative perspective is to understand the necessity of a fall and the allowance of a fall to manifest the redemption and the glory of God and a belief and faith in the glory of God and in the goodness of God and in the, the goodness that comes through redemption. And that's what Lehi expresses in First Nephi chapter 1, verse 14. Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer those who come unto thee that they shall perish. Lehi saw the goodness of God in his redemption, and that's that will be the most powerful witness for you in God's goodness. 
as you reach that humble state described by Mosiah of your own nothingness, as you take on the image of being a beggar and poor in spirit, understanding that this world owes you nothing, that you came into this world with nothing and you'll leave this world with nothing, and that anything that you experience in life that is positive, anything that enriches your life, that gives you a sense of joy, a sense of goodness, anything that is good has come from God. Believing that all things that you have received that are good and whatsoever is good is of God, that that will give you the power of gratitude. And especially as you can identify that within yourself, it's so critical to identify the good in you and to be grateful for that good so that you can exclaim in praise and in gratitude that by the grace of God that I am what I am and that God has delivered me by that grace. And he did not suffer me to perish, that if I come to God, that God will preserve me, that he will deliver me, that he will redeem me. And because of that, I experience God's mercy and his gratitude. And after that manner, you will praise God and rejoice. You will have feelings of gratitude and feelings of joy that will continue to grow and grow and grow as you practice that and reflect on that and ponder that on a daily basis, which is why in prayer we begin with gratitude. Because if you do that in a sincere way, that can transform your character. It can transform the whole experience of life. And that is the power that comes through gratitude. That is the power that comes from a belief and an understanding and a knowledge of the goodness of God. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Your support for this podcast is greatly appreciated. Thank you. You can support this podcast by purchasing one of my books, The Divine Nature or His Voice, The Teachings of the Old and New Testament. These books can be purchased on Amazon or by visiting my website, www.unfoldingthescriptures.com. Thank you and God bless.